you. You may be seated. Let's let our ushers come forward to receive our offering. And as they do so, let me quickly just remind you of several things I want you to be praying for. Vacation Bible School starts Thursday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. Be praying for Vacation Bible School. Also, faith classes, our second semester of faith, begins on Thursday night, 6 o'clock. We'll be meeting over in the Family Life Center in the middle room of the Family Life Center, but all those in the faith classes. And then next Sunday is Promotion Sunday in Sunday School, so all you teachers remember that as you go to your classes. Uh, we promote up next Sunday in Sunday School, so uh, make note of that. Special request given to us for a David Groves, 18 years old, that was in an automobile accident, so let's be praying for the Groves family and lifting them up, and as well as many other prayer requests. Let's pray. Father, thank you now for the joy of being able to give and to be able to bring our needs to you. Bless all the things that are going on. Bless Vacation Bible School this week. Bless the beginning of our faith, our second semester in faith. Bless each one that have participated in faith. And I pray that you'll use us in a special way to win others to Christ. Bless all the things that are coming up. In Jesus' name, amen.
to the happy place where we shall extol the Lord, looking on his face, sharing all the joys up there in a sunny climb. Praise Jesus evermore, what a happy time.
As the choir comes down, get out, shake hands, make everyone welcome. Put a smile on your face. Should have a smile after that. Let's shake hands with everyone. Make everyone welcome tonight.
be seated. Quest, did you lose me? No, okay. Uh, I requested that we get to sing tonight. Um, we don't get to sing with Millie often, and this coming Saturday morning, Millie will be leaving uh, for Taiwan for a year to be teaching English to little Chinese children. She'll be going under the auspices of the Azusa Pacific, Millie, or Pacific Azusa? Azusa Pacific College in Los Angeles, which is a Christian-based college. She has the opportunity to work with the children there, and we read her eight-page contract, and we felt so much better because she has the opportunity to role model for the children, the teachers, and the parents. And I ask that we get to sing because this is the only time we'll get to sing for a year, and we've not sung in nearly a year, I guess. And she's going to sing. I ask her what she'd like to sing, and this is for you, and this is for me. And if you can't get anything from it, then you just, you know, grab the crumbs because I'm going to get a blessing from it. As Millie sings for us tonight, 
Jesus cares.
he cares when you're stricken and your strength starts to wane. He cares when you fail him and your feet go astray. He cares when you've struggled, but the work seems in vain. Jesus cares. I'm glad he does care, don't you? Take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll pick up where we left off last Sunday night or Sunday week ago, and we'll conclude chapter 15 tonight as we are hastily coming to a close of 1 Corinthians. Didn't you enjoy the choir? I enjoyed those old songs. Wasn't that a blessing? Well, I tell you it was, and I... Uh, I appreciate them singing. I tell you what you ought to do once in a while. Some of y'all just jump up and let a war hoop out every once in a while when you're singing. Exactly. And uh, somebody ought to, y'all to lift your hand and holler and whatever. That's a blessing. I like that last, I like that angel song. I hadn't heard that in years. And, and I like these, these songs they're doing out of this book. But uh, it's a blessing. Get in there with them, support them, and Pray for them and all. And then let me say I appreciate everybody that's in the choir and some of the new ones are getting in uh, to the choir. And I want you to know how much I appreciate it. We're getting ready for the conference and that's a few weeks away. And one of the key parts of our conference is our choir. The conference would not be what it is without the choir. And uh, these fellows that come in from all over the places and uh, they love the choir and it is that which sets the tone of the whole meeting. And we're getting ready for the conference. And I want to encourage many of you to get in the choir. And then all of you that are in the choir, I want you to mark your calendar and make plans to be here every night. Let's have the choir full just like it was tonight. Everybody on the instruments, that was all good over there tonight. It was. And they were doing that last song. I started once just to jump up. I was afraid I'd knock Amy off the stage, but it was good. <laughs> it was all good. I just enjoyed it. And, uh, but let me encourage all of you to choir. September 17th, that's homecoming and the start of the conference. And uh, through that week, Monday through Thursday, so everybody, write it down. And I want everybody in the choir, and let's just have it full and sing all during the week just like you did tonight. But again, thank you so much. 1 Corinthians 15, let's stand and let's begin reading in verse 51 as we honor the reading of His Word. And I want us to look at this wonderful passage of Scripture. And I want us to think tonight on this thought. Death 
your day is coming. Death, your day is coming. Verse 51, the Scripture said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I saw that verse on a nursery one time. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Verse 52, that's the one he's talking about. It's not the nursery. Verse 52, in a moment, and the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. You may be seated. We'll look at verse 58 by itself next Sunday night. But let's look at these few verses tonight, and let's think about this thought. Death, your day is coming. Let's pray. Father, tonight in Jesus' name, we want to thank you for setting us free. And the joy that we have in our heart tonight it's because, Lord, one day we did wander in sin, but you found us and you set us free. And, Father, we thank you for that and just for the joy of knowing that we have been set free from sin's bondage and set free from Satan's bondage. Thank you so much for it. And we give you praise and we rejoice over what you've done. Thank you now, Lord, for the Word of God we've read. Lord, I've used this passage hundreds and hundreds of times at funerals and gravesides through the years. But I pray tonight, Lord, that you'd make it fresh to my heart. Make it fresh to every person here. May we see the Scriptures and understand the Word of God. But Lord, let it bless our hearts tonight as we think about the ultimate end of death. So honor the Lord Jesus. Bless me, touch me, and anoint me. And I'll praise you and thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A number of years ago, I read a most interesting little book entitled, It Happened in Tennessee. I don't remember where it was. I was with the Golden Age or somewhere. I think it was in Jackson, Tennessee, and we stopped at the Casey Jones place, and I bought the book there and read it on the trip. But I have looked at it several times through the years. But a most interesting book entitled, It Happened in Tennessee. And in the book was a story about a 74-year-old fellow by the name of Felix Brazil known to everyone as Uncle Bush of Roan County, Tennessee. Back in June of 1938, he drew national attention. For on a hot Sunday afternoon, he attended his own funeral and listened while his own eulogy was delivered. People had come from all across the nation for the event, and it was held as the largest rural gathering ever to have occurred that time in the state of Tennessee. The highly publicized funeral was scheduled for 2 p.m., but by 9 o'clock in the morning, more than 1,000 had already gathered outside the small wooden Cave Creek Baptist Church near Kingston, Tennessee. And as the morning and the early afternoon wore on, cars and trucks and buses continued to arrive 
filling every available field and barnyard. And by the time that the funeral began, an estimated 8,000 had assembled. Cars double parked along the narrow dirt road leading to the church created a mammoth traffic jam, delaying the arrival of the funeral procession for more than 40 minutes. Highway patrolmen worked to clear a path for the procession. As they did so, stands dispensed cold drinks and sandwiches as everyone eagerly awaited their first glimpse of the living corpse. Well, the procession finally arrived, led by the undertaker from Loudoun, Tennessee, with several press cars following. And then came the hearse with the deceased sitting by the driver, and in the back rode the back walnut casket that Uncle Bush had built for himself. The eager mob surged forward to look, and once again the officers had to work frantically to clear a way for the pallbearers to carry an empty coffin to its place. There sat Uncle Bush with his long white beard neatly combed, and he followed the pallbearers, and there he was sitting and beside the coffin as the service began. Gospel groups from Knoxville and Kingston and Chattanooga provided the music. Fred Berry of Knoxville sang a solo. Reverend Charles Jackson, a former pastor from Paris, Illinois, came to deliver the sermon. And the whole thing, you see, the whole thing got started years earlier when Uncle Bush had decided to make his own coffin. He had told reporters that Balton coffins were cheaply made and he wanted to have a good coffin. So he labored over his coffin, and as he labored over his coffin, he thought of the intended purpose and he began to wonder what his own funeral service would be like. And soon Uncle Bush was consumed with an intense desire to see that his funeral service was carried out in the right manner and that the facts of his life were correctly set out. Well, local newspapers heard about his plans and they began to publicize them. And when people heard about it, they wanted to be a part of the strange event that's about to take place and to be at the funeral. So a Knoxville funeral home took Uncle Bush's handmade coffin and had it lined. A Knoxville businessman brought him to Knoxville and had him fitted for a suit. There were florists from Knoxville, the North City, and even Chattanooga that donated floral arrangements. And at the conclusion of the funeral service, Uncle Bush, he moved along the crowd, shaking hands and siding with his ex the programs that had been printed for the occasion. And when it was all over with, he took his homemade coffin home. Well, in the weeks to come, he was in constant demand. He rode in parades, made personal appearances in theaters. He appeared on Ripley's Believe It or Not radio program and was even featured in an illustrated article in Life magazine. But on February the 9th, 1943, about five years later, Felix Brazil did die. And at his request, only a song and a prayer were used at a simple graveside service, and he was finally laid to rest in his polished, handmade coffin. Well, I read that story, and I thought about death, and I thought you can plan your own death or plan your own funeral, and if you want to do like Uncle Bush, you can even attend your own funeral. But somewhere, sometime, the real thing is going to occur. You can mock death, but somewhere you're going to have to meet death. For the Bible said in Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed unto man once to die. You see, 1 Corinthians 15 is a chapter about death. It is a chapter about the resurrection. But all through the chapter, it talks about the dead. It talks about dying. It talks about death. 
And it reminds us that every one of us tonight, we have an appointment with death. I think about what Job 14 verse 5 said. Seeing that his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. You know what the Scripture is saying? That our days are determined by God. My months, that is how long I am going to live, is known by God. And furthermore, God has set the boundaries that cannot be passed. You see, in every one of our lives, there's a boundary out there somewhere. It is a boundary set by God. It is a boundary that, that signals the end of life. Or to put it simply, every one of us in this room has got an appointment with death. You realize that? Say amen. Well, over the past several weeks, we have been looking at the great resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul has been reminding us that in the future, the believer that, the believer that has died is going to experience a bodily resurrection from the dead. But back in verse 36, we saw a couple of weeks ago, Paul reminds us that before there can be a resurrection from the dead, there must be a death. For he said in verse 36, Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. We looked at that statement last week, and we looked at that word die, which literally means to die off. And I reminded you last Sunday that the word that is used here and the idea behind dying or dying off is that even at this very moment, we are in the process of dying. I am in the process of dying. You are in the process. We are dying off. Every moment of our life, even at this very moment, we're in the process of dying. It's like Herbert Lockyer in one of his books said, as soon as we leave the cradle, we commence our funeral march to the grave. And he's exactly right. One Bishop Hall wrote, death borders upon our birth and in our cradle stands in the grave. And another writer said, he that begins to live begins to die. And there's an old German proverb that reads, man begins to die even before. These words, this world's a city full of straying streets and death's the marketplace where each one of us meets. Every one of us. We may go through life different, but the one place we're all going to meet together one day is death. Every one of us are going to die. Now, death may come in a slow way. It may be through a prolonged and a long sickness that death will come to some of us. Death may come to some in a sudden way. For some, we may meet death in an unexpected moment, and death may come without warning. For others, it may be in a strange way. I think about Aeschylus who was killed by the fall of a turtle on his head, dropped from the claws of a bald eagle. I think about Margut who died of laughter. He died of laughter on watching a monkey trying to pull on a pair of boots. Fabius the Roman praetor was choked to death by a single goat hair in the milk that he was drinking. And William III died from his horse falling, stumbling over a molehill. Now you may die slowly. Death may come slow. Death may come suddenly. And it may come in a very strange way. But regardless, death is going to come. 1 Corinthians 15, 26 describes death as an enemy, and death is an enemy. It is an enemy of every family. Death has taken our loved ones and broken all of our family circles. It has been the enemy to every husband and wife, to many of a husband and wife, to many of a parents and children, to many brothers and sisters, and to friends. It has invaded all of the relationships of life and torn them apart, and it's done so without prejudice and has shown no mercy whatsoever. But in the final verses of chapter 15, Paul tells us that death has its day coming. 
It's like Paul is saying that there is a D-Day for death, that death has its Waterloo. It's like Paul is saying, death, your day is coming down the road. Now, I want you to know tonight that every one of us can look death in the eye and say, death, your day's coming. Death, you have ruled and you have reigned, but death, your day is coming. Can you say amen to that? Look at verse 51 through 57, and let me just point out two things from the Scripture tonight. And it's like Paul is saying, death, your day is coming. Why is death's day coming? Paul says, first of all, death, your day is coming because your right over humanity is going to be canceled. Paul is saying to death in verse 51, now Paul's having a conversation with death. And he says, death, I want you to understand something. Your right over humanity is going to be canceled one day. Notice what he says beginning in verse 51. Paul says, behold, I show you a mystery. Stop there for just a moment. Paul said, I said, behold, take notice. He said, I show you a mystery. I've always, I have long been, I should say, a lover of mystery stories. I love to read uh, Agatha Christie and Ellis Peters and whatever. I love a good mystery story. I mean, nothing's any better to preach all day on Sunday and go home and read about somebody getting killed. I, I don't know of anything any better than that. I love a good mystery story. I mean, when Dr. Phillips was here, Dr. John Phillips was here several years ago. We went over and had fellowship afterwards. And, and Sherry, she told him, you want to look good in front of the doctors. You know how that goes. But this is what my wife said to him. We're sitting there, and my wife said to him, Dr. Phillips, my husband has another woman in his wife. Well, you can imagine how Dr. Phillips looked. You imagine how I look. Say amen right there. <laughs> and then she said, it's Agatha Christie. Well, the next day, Dr. Phillips took me out and bought me a whole stack of mystery books. And after I got thinking about it, every one of them was by a male author. Amen. <laughs> but I like a mystery story. I always have. But when Paul said, I show you a mystery, he is not talking about solving the murder on the Orient Express. He's not solving who shot Roger Ackroyd or whatever like that. But when he talked about a mystery, behold, I show you a mystery. He is talking about something that had been hidden in the past, but now has been divinely revealed by God. The word mystery there has the idea of something that's been made known that could not have been made known if God had not made it known. It is a truth that could not have been comprehended. It is a truth that if you'd went all through the Bible, you would have never put the thing together. It is a truth that God had hidden in the past, but at some point in history, God chose to make the truth known. That's what a mystery is in the Bible. Truth hidden in the past, now revealed by God. Now, Paul said, I show you a mystery. That is, God is revealing something. He's been talking about resurrection. He's been talking about death. But now he says, I want you to understand something that has not been known before. Now, what is this mystery that he's talking about? Notice, first of all, that he's talking about how there's going to be an exemption from death. He's revealing something now. God is revealing something. And that is that there is going to be an exemption from death. Now, every one of you are familiar with Romans 5.12. And Romans 5.12 says that death passed upon all men. Now, the Bible's very clear that death is a penalty that everybody has to pay. All men. Death passed upon all men. All men, everyone, man, woman, boy, and girl, we were all placed under a sentence of death. 
You see, death was part of the penalty of our sin. And since we're all sinners, then the death sentence passed up on every one of us. Death passed up on all men. No exceptions. Everybody, this sentence was passed upon them. But now, there is a truth that is being revealed that there is an exemption to this death sentence. For Paul said in verse 51, we shall not all sleep. See that phrase there, sleep? That's just a, a phrase or a word that was used to talk about dying. Paul has said in verse 51 that not everyone is going to die. Even though the death sentence had been passed upon everybody, all men, death passed upon all men, now it's been revealed that not everybody's going to die. There are those that will not experience death. Now, who is this people that he's talking about that will not experience death? Well, you read the rest of the Word of God, and you find that as you read the Word of God, those that will not see death are those that will be living when Jesus Christ comes again. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, the Bible said, Then we which are alive and remain, those that are living when Christ comes, the Bible said they shall be caught up. Or Paul put it another way in 1 Corinthians 15, 51. He said, Not everybody's going to die, but we shall be changed. Now, Paul's already talked about the change that will take place. When Christ comes and the bodies are raised from the dead, they're going to go through a glorious change, the incorruptible and the corruptible. There's going to be a total transformation of the body. But Paul said, I want you to understand something. Everybody's going to be changed. But there are some people that will not have to die. And some people that are not going to go by the way of the grave. It's like Paul is saying, death, your day is coming. Your right over all of humanity will one day be canceled. You have had the right to take everyone that has ever lived in ages past, but the day is coming when there will be those that you cannot touch, and the day is coming when there will be those that you cannot claim. You realize tonight that it's very possible that me and you may be one of those that will not have to go but the way of the grave? Not everybody's going to die. Some are not going to see death. Some are going to be caught up. Some are going to be changed. They will not die. Only two people that ever lived on earth up to this time did not have to die, and that was Enoch and Elijah. The Bible said of Enoch that he was translated and that he should not see death, Hebrews eleven five. 5. And the Bible said of Elijah that he went up by a whirlwind into heaven, 2 Kings 2, verse 11. But I want you to know, glory to God, there's coming a day when there's a whole crowd that's not going to see death. And there's a whole crowd that's not going to die. Like Enoch, they're going to be translated. And like Elijah, they're going to be carried up into heaven. And again, it's very possible that me and you may be among that crowd. There is an exemption to death. He reveals not everybody is going to die. But second of all, he reveals in this mystery or reveals this truth that not only is there an exemption from death, but closely connected to it, there is an escape from death. Paul says instead of dying, they're going to escape death. They're exempted from death, thereby they escape death. And how will they escape death? Notice what he said in the latter part of verse 52. The dead shall be raised and the living shall be changed. Again, he's talking about the hour when Jesus comes again. And everyone that has died in the Lord, all of our loved ones that have died in Christ, when Jesus comes back, their bodies are going to be resurrected from the dead and they're going to come out of the grave in glorified bodies. But as for those that are living, there's not going to be a resurrection. There's simply going to be a rapture. 
They're going to be changed right there where they stand, and they're going to be caught up. Now you say, Brother Ken, how will this rapture and how will this change take place? Look in verse 21 or verse 51. Paul tells us that it will happen in a moment. Stop there for just a moment. He said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment. You see that word moment there? We get our word Adam, A-T-O-M, from that word translated moment. Back in Paul's day, and we, of course, in our generation, they have learned how to split the Adam. But in Paul's day, the word described that which could not be cut or that which could not be divided. And sometimes it was used in reference to matter, but sometimes it was used in reference to time. And whenever it was used in reference to time, it spoke, it, it spoke of the smallest fraction that was conceivable. In other words, it talked about that part of time that you cannot divide anymore. It talked about that measure of time that you can't divide anymore. We break it down for an hour to a minute to a second and even lower than that. But in those days, the ideal of the atom or a moment was that you broke it down to a point that you could not break time down anymore. Paul is telling us that when Jesus Christ comes, those that are living as well as the dead are going to be changed. They're going to be raised up the dead. The living is going to be called up, and it'll happen so fast that it's beyond our ability to even measure how fast it's going to be. Just like that, even faster, we're going to be called up. Can I get an amen right there? But notice what also he said. Not only does he say that it'll happen so fast that it's almost unimaginable, but it's also almost unobservable. For he talked about it in a twinkling of an eye. Notice carefully, he did not say the blinking of an eye, but the twinkling of an eye. And the phrase that is used here, and the word that is used here, is that which talks about like casting a glance. It'd be like you standing and talking to someone and you're looking at them, but at the same time you kind of notice what's going on over here, and you don't really look over there, but you kind of glance over that way. And you know, it's, it's, it's so fast and, and it's so natural that it's almost unobservable. That's the ideal is that it's going to happen so fast you can't even measure how quick it'll be. In fact, it'll be so fast that you won't even see it happen. In other words, here we are. Imagine, if I was here tonight, and some of you probably see this, probably some of you probably experience this, but if Jesus was to come back tonight and take me out of here, and for the 40 or 50 of you that'll still be here, say amen right there. Most of them in the uh, choir, can I get amen right there? no. But if Jesus was to come back tonight in this room, he would catch us up. We're the living ones. In fact, it would happen so fast we couldn't even put a time or couldn't even measure time. In fact, it would happen so fast that one moment we're here and the next moment we're gone. And we didn't even see it happen. Or the people left behind wouldn't even see it happen. And all of a sudden it just dawned on them, well, where is everybody? They didn't see us leave. They didn't see us vanish. They wouldn't see us taken out. I'm talking about one of these days. Paul is saying to death, he is saying, death, one of these days, your day's coming. He said, you have had the right over humanity throughout the ages, and you've laid claim to every person that's ever lived. But one day there's a group you will not have the right to take. In fact, I'm going to take them out here so fast it won't even be seen or noticed when it happens there. That's how quick it's going to be. Imagine that. 
We're going to be gone. We're going to get a glorified body. But look at something else he says about it. He then uses a statement that blesses my heart. He says this escape from death will occur at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound. If you read your Bible at all, you know that trumpets have a large place in the activities of the Bible, Old Testament and in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the trumpets were used to call the congregation together. They were used to announce the journeying of the camps or the stopping at day. They were used as an alarm or notification. And trumpets were also blown during Israel's uh, feast and over their sacrifices at the beginning of the months. And it doesn't surprise me when I see the large place that trumpets have in the Bible and in God's economy of things that when Jesus Christ comes again, he's going to use a trumpet to announce his coming. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. Now, here's what blesses me about this trumpet. You see that phrase, the last trump? I think I've told this before. But here's that phrase, the last trump. That's a military term. It actually comes from a Roman military. It's a Roman military term. And the last trump is what they would call the third trump or the last trump. One trumpet would be sounded. And when that trumpet was sounded, it meant for the soldiers to pack up and extract their tents. And then a little while, another trumpet would sound, the second trumpet. And that would signal for the soldiers to line up. But then the third trump, or as the Romans called it, the last trump. When the last trump sounded, it meant pull out and march. Are you listening to me? One of these days, one glorious day, there's going to be a trumpet sound, and that trumpet will say to every believer, it's pulling out time instead of dying. Instead of going to the grave, death is going to lose his grip over a generation of people. And death is going to lose his grip and right over some folks. Thank God there's going to be a pulling out time. It won't be an appointment with the grave, but it'll be an arrival in glory. Blessed be his name. I can see right now I'm enjoying this a whole lot better than you are. Amen. Paul says, death, you've had the right to lay claim on everyone for centuries of times, but one of these days that right is going to be canceled. There are those death are not going to die. It's like Paul saying, death, your day is coming because your right over humanity will be canceled. But look at the second thing he says. Paul says, death, your day is coming because your rule over humanity is going to be conquered. See, death has not only had the rights to every human being, but from the very beginning of time, death has ruled over the human race sitting as the ultimate victor over every person. But Paul says, death, your day is coming when your rule is going to be conquered. Notice beginning in verse 53. Really in verse 53, it's like Paul's got blessed by what's been said in verse 51 and 52. And he gets so good in his heart that it's like he stands up and he looks death in the eye and he starts taunting death. That's what he's doing. It's like he's mocking death. It's like he's sticking his tongue out at death. And he begins to taunt death in verse 53 with one, a prophetic word. He said, for this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. 
So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass that is saying, that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Paul explains something's got to happen before a believer can enter heaven or live in heaven. There's got to be a change. He's talked about a change. Now he says that change has to occur. It must. Our corruptible bodies, immortal bodies, must put on incorruption, and they must put on immortality. But then Paul says when that change takes place, then is going to be fulfilled the prophecy. Death is swallowed up in victory. And the prophecy Paul refers to is found in Isaiah 25, 8. He will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces, and the rebuke of his people shall he take from off the earth, and the Lord hath spoken it. Now follow me. It's like Paul is saying, Death, you have ruled over the human race. Death, you have made everyone bow ultimately to your demands. But death, your day is coming. For one of these days, you're going to be swallowed up and you're going to be vanquished in triumph from victory. Now, pardon me. Now, I know this is not there, but I can't help but imagine this. I believe Paul's a little more sophisticated than I am. And I believe he's a little more dignified than I, than I am. But I can't help but think in my mind's eye that when he says that, he sticks his tongue out at death. And he begins to taunt him and remind him that death, for centuries, you have limited the days of man on earth, but those days are numbered. Death, you have been the conquering one throughout the ages, but one day, death, you're going to be the conquered one. You hear him taunting death with a prophetic word, but then he taunts death, secondly, with a personal word. Now he gets very personal. He says, death, I want to remind you what the book says. Death, you have ruled through the ages. But I just want to remind you what the Scripture says. Death, you're going to be swallowed up in victory. But then he looks at death and he says, Oh, death, where is your sting? He is toning death. Oh, grave, where is your victory? See that word sting? It's descriptive of a stinger and a bee. It's like Paul is saying, Death, can I just translate it in a trivial translation? Hey, old boy. One of these days, you're going to get your stinger pulled out. He's saying to death, I've watched you take my loved ones. I've watched you take those I cared about. Death, I've watched you take away from me those that I loved. You broke my heart time and time again. But death, one day you're going to get your stinger pulled out. He's taught him, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? I believe old Paul looks down in the grave and he says, Grave, you've claimed us all. You've held us all captive. But even you, grave, are going to get the whipping of your life one of these days. For one of these mornings, God's going to break you right down the middle and he's going to let out our loved ones. You remember when you were kids on the playground? And you remember when you make fun of somebody? I know some of you never did anything like this. But a uh, few of us backslid in life. But you're on the playground, and you remember you make fun of somebody. You know what you do? Na, 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 Did you ever do that? Some of you still do it, and you're 50 years old. Say amen. <laughs> but Paul looks at death. He says, na, 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 na. He looks at the grave, 
And he says, grave, death, you've taken my loved ones. Grave, you've held them in the ground for the ages. But no, 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 no. You're going to get your stinger pulled out. You're going to get the whipping of your life. Death, your day's coming down the road. Glory be to God. I go almost every week of my life I'm in a funeral home. Almost every week, there is rare that I don't at least go by to see someone and speak to them and let them know that I love them and are praying for them. Almost every week of my life, I'm in a funeral home. Even this afternoon, I left uh, Chattanooga Funeral Home West Chapel after speaking to Brother Dancer, and I couldn't help but go down the road and just pick up where Paul was, just hollering, Death, one of these days, your day's coming. Death. One of these days, your stinger's going to be pulled out. Death, one of these days, you're going to lose the victory. Death, your day is coming. He said in verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Paul reminds us why death even exists. First, he reminds us that the sting of death is sin. Sin's the reason people die. There wouldn't be any death if sin hadn't entered in the world. That's the strength. That's the sting of death, sin. He tells us that death gets its sting from the reality that all of us are sinners. And secondly, that the strength of sin is the law. How did we know we were sinners? It is the law that revealed we were sinners. The law. Listen, nobody's ever been saved by the law. But you want to know when you do wrong? You want to know how you know that you do wrong? Because of the law. It is the law that revealed that we were sinners. It was the law that revealed that we could not get to God on our own. It was the law that revealed as our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, to help us to realize we're sinners, we can't get to God on our own, we got to come to Christ. And he says there's a law that reveals we're sin. That's the strength of sin. But he adds in verse 57, I like this. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's like Paul had one more thing he wanted to taunt death about. He says to death, can I paraphrase it my way? Death, you have had rights and you have ruled through the ages because of sin. But death, I want you to know something. Somebody's taking care of that problem. He said, death, you have been able to claim your victims because of sin, but somebody's took care of that problem. And somebody has conquered both sin. Now, won't you understand death? He's also conquered you. And can I put it this way? I believe old Paul said, Death, you may think you're still the big boy on the block, but on the morning, the third day, Jesus Christ, God's Son, rose again from the dead. He took care of the sin problem, and he'll take care of you down the road. Death, your day is coming. Aren't you glad? Death is our enemy. It's taken all of us and broken our hearts. It's taken our loved ones, our mates, our children, our moms, our dads. Oh, what an enemy he is. But praise God, we can look death in the eye and say, Death, your day's coming down the road. I think about something someone wrote. They said, There is a preacher of the old school, but he speaks as boldly as ever. He's not popular, though the world is his parish. And he travels every part of the globe, and he speaks in every language. He visits the poor. He calls upon the rich. He preaches to people of every religion. And the subject of his sermon is always the same. He is an eloquent preacher, often stirring feelings which no other preacher could, and bringing tears to eyes that never weep. His arguments none are able to refute. 
nor is there any heart that has remained unmoved by the force of his appeals. He shatters life with his message. Most people hate him. Everyone fears him. His name, it is death. Every tombstone is his pulpit. Every newspaper prints his text. And someday every one of you will be his sermon. I say that, thank God, by the authority of the Word of God. Death, one of these days you're going to preach your last sermon. Death, one of these days you're going to claim your last victim. Death, one of these days you're going to take my last loved one. Death, one of these days your right and your rule will be canceled and conquered. Death, your days coming. Let's stand to our feet, please. Thank God for it. Amen.